I'm Johnny Pollard and welcome to the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I talk to Alita Brandenburg, a digital marketer, brand strategist and community developer. She works across industries from tech to music, fashion and health and is the former director of social media at Refinery29. Being a long-term meditator, she asks for some recommendations for how we deal with staying regular with our practice despite feeling the intensity and overwhelm of anxiety and even to the extent of feeling depressed how can we remain motivated and find reason and purpose for our practice when we feel so flat so at this point it's pretty well researched and acknowledged that meditation helps with anxiety and depression and just stress in general. Um, but of course, when we're in the throes of these struggles, it's often when it gets hardest to do self-care, set aside time for ourselves. So I'm curious what your thought is, if you have any recommendations on how best to continue with your practice and stay on track when on one hand, you know that you need it, it's going to be good for you. But then on the other hand, your monkey mind takes over and tells you that it's the last thing that you need to be doing right then. Mm. I think the most important thing that any of us can do in the pursuit of sustaining a regime of self-care is to understand the underlying psychology that uh, derails us in the first place. Mm. It's a case of getting to the root of the belief system that things outside of us that are demanding that we continue depleting ourselves are more important than actually looking after ourselves. Mm. Now we can sit here right now and logically go, hmm, yeah, it's a fickle argument to make to ourselves. And yet we do it convincingly and we ignore what it is that we truly need. Fascinating thing, us mm. humans, how we can know something that's really good for us and completely and utterly ignore it and deny it. Right. So it's my perspective that inherent in the psychology of denial is a biological process that is interfering with our ability to sincerely and genuinely connect with what we need. And what I mean by a biological process, I'm talking specifically about the stress response. Inherent within the stress response is a psychological um, belief that there is some kind of danger or threat to us. It requires that we apply a tactic of defense in order to sustain a sense of safety. And the kind of stress that I'm talking about generally pertains to circumstances where there isn't any real threat to our well-being, mm -hmm. to our, our lives, to our survival. And yet, biologically, we respond to those circumstances as if there is. Mm -hmm. And it's so important for us to understand that this is taking place, that our bodies are designed to um, react to danger and cause us to uh, defend ourselves in such a way to get ourselves out of that danger. The, the glitch in our system is that when we expose ourselves to too much stimulation and too much pressure of demand from outside of ourselves, what happens is we, we become depleted of our core vital energy, we become fatigued, and when we become fatigued, our, our bodies 
and when I say bodies, that nervous systems and our brains become compromised in their ability to um, function properly to meet the demand. And we have an intelligence built in that when our intelligence is compromised and we can't meet the demand sufficiently, we go into high alert. We switch into a survival mode. And inherent in this survival mode is a belief that I'm in danger and I must apply some kind of strategy to overcome the danger. And what that means is, in that moment, the consideration of just stopping, being still, connecting with how I feel, <laughs> and just attempting to rest is just not something that's on the cards. The body won't allow it. The hormones that are running through the body are designed to put you on high alert and be ready for some kind of attack. We call this the fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. Fight, flight, or freeze, mm -hmm. depending on which way you look at it. So going back to your question, you know, how do we, how do we try and maintain a regime of self-care amidst the challenges and demands that trigger a biological response to react defensively to life. The first thing that we need to do is recognize that this is actually taking place. Without the understanding or the insight, the ability to objectify our biological or physical and emotional responses to life, without being able to look at them objectively and go, oh, I'm having a reaction to something, that is unwarranted, but I understand why it's happening because there's lots of pressure, I'm tired, and my body's hardwired to do this when I'm under this kind of pressure. When we can frame our experience this way, we can then go, okay, I have this thing called awareness where I'm able to stop and reflect on my experience and actually interact with the experience that I'm having and determine whether I need to continue denying and ignoring what it is that I need in order to sustain a mode of survival to get through what is potentially a threat to my existence, or am I capable of identifying, okay, I'm having a stress reaction to lots of demands of life, which is very real, by the way, and consciously choose to despite my discomfort, despite my anxiety, despite the pressure that I'm feeling, the overwhelm that I'm feeling, to choose to sit and defy the biological demand to defend, resist, deny, and just breathe through the sensations and allow my body to access that deep level of rest that it needs to recover from stress in the first place. Mm. And so what's so wonderful about meditation is that it creates the conditions for rest as quickly as, it, as our bodies possibly can get into that state, given that we're in such a high state of stimulation and anxiety. Meditation creates the conditions very, very quickly for us to move into this more restful, calm state where we can rejuvenate. It's not always gratifying. 
it's not always pleasant. The idea of actually choosing to sit still amidst our anxiety when our everything in our body is saying, do more, don't stop, don't rest, it's not safe. Work harder, plan into the future more, more, more. Don't worry about right now because we just need to get through this time, this period of time. And the danger with this, if left unchecked, which it is for most people, is that we normalize that. We normalize that as our reality. And we sustain a relationship to ourselves and life whereby we are constantly projecting into the future to try and preempt things that might go wrong and never actually access the present moment and experience it for what it is, which is everything. <laughs> it's where all of our happiness and fulfillment lies in this moment now. And unfortunately, if we're not in the habit of acknowledging that most of the threats that we feel on that level of anxiety are not actually real in terms of being in danger, Biologically, they feel very real, and so we need to acknowledge that. If we're not in the habit of doing that, we get trapped in a mentality that it's smarter and more important for us to ignore what we need in the present moment in the name of setting ourselves up to be safe in the future. Mm. And this is based on a totally false premise. You know, when we sit and analyze, we go, that's actually ridiculous. That's a ridiculous thing. And it's referred to as a neurosis. This is actually the, the definition of neurosis. Uh, the, the belief that there's some kind of danger and we have to live in the future. Plan, 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 control, plan, plan, plan. And so this is the great challenge that we have coming back to the question that you asked. And the reality is that the only way that we can break that habit is through the volition of our will to recognize that it's taking place, and to break the habit of denial. Now, there are other things that you can put in place, like learn to meditate with a bunch of friends and hold each other accountable. Right, we're going to do this every single day, twice a day, and let's see what impact this has on our life. And of all the things that I've experimented and explored over the last you know, 25 odd years, to alleviate this sort of involuntary biological response to overstimulation, because that's essentially what it is. We're overstimulated, and our bodies don't know how to deal with that level of stimulation, and so we go into this survival mode. And I've been absolutely dedicated and fascinated by how we can utilize the mind to cause the body to let go of that fear response and move into a deeper, more restful state whereby we can rejuvenate. And as far as I'm aware, I, I haven't discovered anything that is as effective almost immediately as meditation. And as you said, there's a lot of science now that can give explanations of all the kinds of experiences that regular meditators report having. They say, you know, I feel, you know, more rested. I have more vitality. I have the ability to be present without 
involuntarily allowing my mind to rush off into the future and try and plan and organize. Uh, they describe themselves being less defensive in the way in which they interact with the world. They find themselves more open, more desirous to connect and to, to have shared experiences of growth and nurture a sense of belonging. There are now really clear explanations from a, you know, a, from a scientific standpoint as to why people might be experiencing that. At least from a, a physiological standpoint, they, they were able to observe what the brain does, what the blood does, what the hormones do. And, you know, they've arrived at some very clear insights about what's happening here when we meditate. And so for anybody that's listening to this podcast that, you know, relates to the question that you asked, my simple advice is get into the habit of choosing to ask yourself, is this anxiety warranted? Is this worry that I have really warranted? And are the circumstances so serious that it really demands that I forego taking 20 minutes out in the morning and in the evening to sit, close my eyes, and allow my body to recover from what it is I throw myself into every day? Can I ask a follow-up? Yeah. I think that's fantastic for anxiety and stress. What about depression? Do you feel like there's a different approach? Because I think that when you're in the midst of that, there's a feeling of not wanting to do anything. It's not a matter of slowing down. You've perhaps already slowed down to the point of debilitation mm. where you don't have any motivation to do anything. Mm. And you can have these exercises mentally of saying, oh, I should do this, but you can't even get the energy to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Is there a different approach for that? There is, and it's a really great distinction that you make. So anxiety leads to depression. Anxiety is the the fear that something's going to happen in the future that's going to cause some kind of danger to you, that is a threat to you. Depression is when we resign ourselves to defeat. I can't beat this. It's too big. I can't face it. I give up. And there is a something in us psychologically dies or the light, a light goes out. And so if you find yourself in a depressive state, it's very important that you establish support around you that's professional, that takes into consideration the reality of what led you into the depressive state. And that may look like, you know, a counselor, a psychologist, a dear friend, family, that you have to be able to talk about what it is you feel defeated by. And in the instance of anxiety, what we're trying to do is settle down. In the instance of depression, what we want to do is try and start the engine again. Mm -hmm. And it's a matter of, in my opinion, Integrating meditation is a daily habit because that fires everything up. And then setting yourself very little goals that are achievable, but daily and go for those things. Mm -hmm. Make sure that to the best that you can, you apply all that you have despite not wanting to do anything because you just feel so terrible. And what's the bloody point? This is a part of depression is to defy it 
through the volition of your own will. And all the people that I've worked with that suffer from this apply this simple strategy, little goals every day, achieve them, achieve them. And after a few days, that develops a sense of confidence and capability. And then you, you set slightly bigger goals whilst at the same time talking with a therapist, a clinician, and describing your experience, what you're battling with. And over time, with all of these things, setting yourself goals, regular meditation, and having somebody to talk to about it, you'll be surprised with a dedicated effort to this particular regime, you will emerge out of that depressive state pretty quickly. So maybe it's 30 seconds of meditation, day one, one minute, the next day, two minutes, the next day. Certainly, sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's no one size fits all. And some people's depression relate to terrible circumstances that happened when they were younger. And their sense of defeat has is as a result of things that have happened in the past. Like I said, it's not a one-size-fits-all, but this is absolutely a strategy for what you can do to get moving now. Yeah. Did that answer your yeah, question? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's great. great. The main point in this episode for me is this idea that stress, anxiety, and even depression are so convincing in making us believe that the future is far more important to be worrying about than investing time and energy resting in the present moment and allowing us to recover from the overwhelm. And my encouragement to you is if you're somebody that faces these challenges is to experiment without any justification other than just the desire to want to commit to yourself in the present moment, despite feeling terrible, flat, anxious, show up every day, twice a day, and set yourself a 60-day challenge, irrespective of anything that's happening around you. Make it the most important thing, non-negotiable, and watch how it can transform your life. Special thanks to our show producers, Trevor Exter and Sean Tomlin, music by Ali. Special thanks to Andrea Stern for allowing us to record all of our sessions in her beautiful studio and to all the One Giant Mind team. Thank you for listening and being a part of One Giant Mind. If you don't already and you're interested in learning to meditate, an easy free way is to download the One Giant Mind Learn Meditation mobile app on iTunes or Google Play. The best way to learn, however, is from a teacher. And if you're interested in learning the One Giant Mind technique, email us at teachers at onegiantmind.com and we'll help you find a teacher in your area. If you're a passionate meditator and the idea of becoming a teacher is something that inspires you, consider becoming certified with the One Giant Mind Meditation Teacher Training Program that I've developed. The certification program is 100% online and can be done on your smartphone, laptop or tablet anywhere in the world. Teaching could be one of the most fulfilling experiences because you're having such a meaningful impact in people's lives. If you're interested in enrolling and would like to receive a special discount, email teachers at onegiantmind.com and mention the One Giant Mind podcast to get a great discount. Finally, if you enjoy our show, please share it with your friends and give us a review because it improves our rankings and helps others find this podcast. And I really hope you can join us for the next episode. Thank you.